This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Monday afternoon, February 25th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. An American classic gets an electric makeover. We'll talk about that in our next segment. But right now, the coming days will include more results from earnings season, plus a tally of total U.S. economic output for the first quarter. We're joined by Tom Hudson, the week-ahead columnist, McClatchy Tribune News Services, based in Miami. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Before we talk about uh, the earnings season as it continues and also the impact of uh, continued lockdowns in China as they deal with the Omicron variant of COVID-19, we will get a gut check on the health of the economy, especially how it is uh, weathering the disruptions of the war in Ukraine as Russia invades and is repelled. What are analysts expecting about the uh, Q1 GDP, that initial estimate? Pretty decent growth, Rob. Uh, you know, the real focus is going to be, of course, on the American consumer. Consumer, <clears throat> excuse me. That consumer is responsible for 70 percent of the U.S. economic output. And so without that consumer, if that consumer is getting more and more concerned with higher oil prices, with the COVID situation, then we have got some real worries here. But in the first quarter, despite the uh, war being launched in Ukraine and the total human catastrophe that that is for the Ukrainians and others. I think the U.S. consumer has been holding in there, held in there certainly in the first quarter with interest rates still near historic lows back then. And then we'll, on uh, tomorrow, the uh, Case-Shiller Home Price Index and data on new home sales will give us an updated look on the housing market. There were some signs that it was cooling off, but uh, part of it was interest rate driven. But the other part was yep. that in many parts of the country, they've simply run out of houses to sell. Yeah. Right. The inventory issue, right? That inventory is down to maybe a few days, maybe a few weeks if you're lucky. So inventories, you'd like to see those grow to, uh, you know, a few months, certainly. But we're moving into the spring selling season where you are in Chicago. Not a lot of homes get sold, you know, when there's a lot of snow on the ground unless you absolutely have to move. But as we move into that spring selling season, interest rates, mortgage rates are at, uh, you know, a three, four year highs. Now, that adds a few hundred dollars perhaps every month onto the cost of a, of a mortgage. Is that enough to get people out of the housing market? It could be. It could help increase inventories, though, which could help provide some kind of equilibrium in this market, let it cool off without a cratering. The zero-COVID policy continues to uh, upend the world economy, much less China's economy. Uh, More lockdowns in major cities, uh, Beijing. There's a run on supplies in the capital because of ahead of an anticipated shutdown there. It is causing the price of oil to uh, cool off just a little bit, but uh, that inflationary pressure is replaced by, once again, the specter of more supply chain disruptions. Absolutely, Rob. I mean, it is remarkable what we are seeing and experiencing in Shanghai and now what could be experienced in Beijing with lockdowns of 
you know, several million people, uh, it is going to have a ripple effect, certainly a psychological effect that we're seeing in the equity markets and in the energy market today. But it could have a very real effect on continuing to really squeeze that uh, that supply chain when we had so many hopes that it was just beginning to loosen up finally with uh, with more workers being able to go back to work. If that's not the case in these key economic centers in China, that means inflation is likely to be much more sticky than investors and particularly the Federal Reserve had hoped for just a few weeks ago. Tom Hudson, Week Ahead columnist for McClatchy Tribune News Services based in Miami. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, the latest legendary car to go electric. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. General Motors is unveiling plans for its next generation of Corvette. Let's get the latest now from Jeff Gilbert, CBS News automotive correspondent based in Detroit. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Uh, once again, a uh, uh, one of the traditional Detroit Three uh, doing their best to uh, keep up with Tesla in announcing the uh, electric Corvette. Jeff, do they have a timetable for when this car is actually going to be uh, at the very least, uh, uh, released to buyers to uh, put in an order to uh, just get put in an order? Uh, no, they're being very, uh, very, uh, shall we say they're holding those cards close to their vest. They say an electrified Corvette will be out next year. Uh, that's most likely a hybrid, adding more power to it. And they say the electric Corvette will be out shortly after that, but but not giving an exact timetable. I'm guessing probably three years or so. Now, Corvette is uh, second to the party as far as a uh, classic sport American sports car brand uh, getting the electric makeover. Ford is already there with the uh, Mustang Mach-E, and based on the response to the electric Mustang, the, uh, the, the, the market for the electric Corvette is probably going to be fairly brisk. Oh, oh yeah, you, you'll certainly have no shortage of buyers. This is, you know, the, the regular Corvette is not sold in huge numbers. So uh, they're, they're going to have a whole lineup. They're not getting rid of the gasoline-powered Corvette just yet. So they'll have that as well. They'll have this hybrid Corvette. They'll also have the electric Corvette. But th- this is just part of the process because as you see fuel economy rules tightening up, if you want to make a really powerful vehicle, well, by the second half of this decade, it's going to have to be electric. What is the uh, the market for the Chevy Corvette? Is it uh, for people who need the, have that need for speed regardless of age, or does it have a certain cachet with a certain generation of car buyers? I mean, for example, President Biden is a Corvette owner, uh, did a video with his kids talking about uh, you know just how great it was to own a Corvette. Is it uh, grandpa's and dad's sports car, or do they have younger drivers? Uh, They definitely have younger drivers, but it's interesting you mentioned President Biden. He actually leaked last, actually two years ago during the campaign, uh, he was talking about an electric Corvette that GM told him that one was coming. So, you know, this has been hinted for a while. But the the Corvette is thought of as a classic aging baby boomers car. There's no doubt that's the image. But but GM would like to expand that to younger buyers as well, because obviously we boomers aren't going to be around forever. Now, again, with a car with a certain level of cultural cachet for people who grew up during a certain time, you know, the Mustang has that as well. It was very much a late 60s, early 70s, you know, high performance vehicle. And uh, if you grew up uh, with Beach Boys songs about cars, uh, you like the Ford Mustang. How is the Mach-E doing as far as demographics are concerned? 
Uh, Maki is actually bringing in a younger demographic because it is electric. So you're seeing that. And of course, the Mustang purists all all, you know, were highly offended when the Mach-E came in. And that's not really a Mustang. And I'm sure a lot of Corvette purists will, will say the same thing. But, you know, they, these companies want to open up their vehicles to more than the purists. And, and that's certainly something that the Mustang has done. But realize the Mustang Mach-E, as expensive as it may be, is still going to be a lot less expensive than an electric Corvette. The Corvette is probably, you know, 70% more expensive than your average Mustang. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News Automotive reporter based in Detroit. Coming up next, Chicago-based Mondelez International makes a major move in Mexico. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Chicago-based Mondelez International is buying, uh, buying bread maker Grupo Bimbo's confectionery business in Mexico. Let's get more on this deal from Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Ali, thanks for joining us today. It sounds like from uh, Mondelez's perspective, candy is indeed dandy. Yes, you're exactly right. So this company that they're buying is called Ricolino. Um, they make, you know, hard and chewy candies, gum, marshmallows, lollipops, caramel, chocolates. Um, some of the brands, if you've heard of them, are Ricolino, Vero, La Corona, and Coronado. So, um, you know, Mondelez says this acquisition is going to double the size of this business in Mexico and provide a really um, attractive entry point into the chocolate category. So we're seeing a big focus on chocolate from Mondelez going forward, I think. Now, Mondelez is the owner of Nabisco. They make Oreo cookies. They have a bakery in the Marquette Park neighborhood on the southwest side. How does this affect uh, Mondelez's place uh, in their market space? And also, how would it affect their operations in Chicago? Yeah, so it's a great question. So um, Mondelez has had this strategy over the past couple of years of acquiring uh, fast-growing snacking companies. So we've saw, we've seen them acquire uh, Chapita, which was a leader sort of in Central and Eastern European snack-sized cakes. Um, they acquired another company called Grenade in the U.K., um, Hue was one that they acquired here in the U.S. It's a kind of like a well-being snacking company. Um, so you can see them kind of reaching into these other areas to sort of diversify their business. I don't think this will have much effect on the operations here in Chicago um, because this Ricolino does not, that I'm aware of, have any um, facilities here or operate here. But they, you know, they have more than 50 years of history in Mexico. So I think it, it have really, really rich um, direct to store delivery routes and and trade outlets. So I think it's something that is going to provide scale to Mondelez um, as opposed to taking away from anything that's going on here in the Chicago area already. And Mondelez does have a, a truly international reach. Now, when it comes to the uh, the the snacking space, as it were, um, is this a place where they might actually see some growth in a post COVID environment? Uh, just because the last two years there have been so many, you know, health rules on what food can be brought into a public space and more of an emphasis on prepackaged factory wrapped foods as opposed to something somebody makes at home and brings in to share at the office. Could Mondelez benefit from those rules sticking around as the COVID-19 pandemic kind of fades into the background? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question and observation. Um, so I cover other packaged food companies, too, such as Kraft Heinz and ConAgra, which are also based here in the Chicago area. And we have seen, I mean, you're exactly right, like the packaged food industry saw a much needed bump throughout the course of the pandemic as people stayed home and snacked more, as they thought about, you know, individually wrapped things more, um, all of that kind of stuff. And even 
now, the biggest headwind they're all facing is going to be inflation, right? I mean, Mondelez is an example, Kraft Heinz also. Um, those two companies, they have operations in Ukraine and Russia that they've had to think about and shut down. Um, also, a lot of wheat is being purchased from Russia and Ukraine, and those prices are sky high, and then just inflation all around that's kind of hitting them. However, you know, we haven't seen a lot of these companies are going to report earnings here in the next couple of weeks. So we'll know more about how inflation is really hitting their bottom lines. I expect it will a little bit. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where if, you know, people are having to pay more at the grocery store, they're going to trade down to either generic options that could potentially hurt a company like Mondelez. It has brand names. Um, At the same time, you know, if they continue offering a value, Uh, customers might turn to them instead of maybe going to the local bakery and buying something if that's where they choose to cut back on. So I think that's a question that we're going to see answered here in the coming weeks. Ellie Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead, a pair of investment ideas from our Monday stock. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. CBS News Special Report. We are following breaking news out of New York where a judge has just found former President Trump in contempt of court for ignoring a subpoena by the state's attorney general. More now from CBS's Steve Dorsey at the White House. The Manhattan judge is ordering Trump to pay a fine of $10,000 per day for failing to respond to a subpoena from the New York attorney general as part of an investigation into his business dealings. It comes after Trump missed a March 31st deadline to turn over documents. His attorney says there's nothing for him to provide. Trump has been fighting James in court over the investigation, which he calls a politically motivated witch hunt. Back in February, the New York attorney general said her office had collected evidence in a wide ranging investigation that shows the former president used fraudulent and misleading financial statements to boost benefits for his businesses. CBS News Special Report. I'm Monica Ricks. 
Hey, it's 1232. Markets are mixed this afternoon. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thanks for joining us once again. I want to pick up the conversation we had about Elon Musk purchasing Twitter. They're very close to getting a deal done, it sounds like, in just a couple of minutes. But let's talk initially about this reversal in the markets. Uh, the Dow and the S&P uh, still down for the day, but off their lows. The Nasdaq has ticked positive. Uh, what's been going on this morning? Well, good afternoon, Rob, and I, I'm lucky I get to talk with you twice today. Um, you know, the market has been, as you said, lower most of the day, and, and Nasdaq just got its head above flat um, a few minutes ago and is now up 0.2%. I mean, I don't read a lot into this in that there's not a, it's not a newsy day, so there's not a lot going on. Um, other than the market's kind of wandering around waiting for more data, which we're going to get 180 or so earnings reports this week, including the big tech firms, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple. They're all coming out this week. So today is kind of just a, a day that the market is going to kind of kind of just hang in there and, and, and wait because uh, they tried to sell it off, and I think that too many people believe that the earnings that are coming out are going to positively affect the market going forward, and that's probably why we're we're, we're getting a little bit of a bid here later in the afternoon here. There has not been uh, much news on Elon Musk purchasing Twitter in the last two hours, but uh, according to multiple sources, it sounds like this deal is on the one-yard line. If it is consummated, what happens after that as far as litigation is concerned by some of Twitter's shareholders who may not like the terms of this deal? Well, that, that is a risk that you take uh, as a board if you agree on a deal. It's also a risk you take if you don't agree. Um, there's going to be a, a, a dialogue about whether they, they have, have done their fiduciary duty. Um, you know, if, it, it sounds like if there's going to be lawsuits, uh, if the deal is done, it's going to be by shareholders who feel like they were misled, that there wasn't going to be a deal and got out too early. Um, those tend to not be as successful. I'm not going to say that these don't, they're not, that they don't have merit because uh, this is a specific case, but I can just speak in general terms. These, those types of lawsuits don't generally uh, win, but you never know in this case. Uh, you know, there's always, in a deal like this where there's billions on the table, there's always somebody that's, that feels like they got left out. So, you know, it's going to happen one way or the other, but I would tend to believe that, that these t those types of lawsuits are not going to be too successful. We do we did touch on this uh, a little bit uh, in the 1020 segment about uh, Twitter's place in the social media sphere and that uh, it's it's very much a distant third compared to Facebook slash Meta compared to Instagram, which is also a Meta product, and and Snapchat and TikTok and and other social media applications. It does have outsized influence in the world of academia, media, politics, especially. Uh, there is going to be some discussion about content. If you're Elon Musk and you are the world's richest man and you are paving the road to space and writing a new chapter uh, in the stars and on distant planets, do you really want? to be the world's content monitor well why not is my would be my answer to that um i mean uh elon has shown that he can he has a wide palette of of abilities to 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 run companies so social media certainly is far afield from the, the enterprises he already has but i think he just he feels very passionately about 
the way a social media platform should be run. I think, you know, he, he has come out uh, uh, and said that it should be more free speech based. Um, and so that has a lot of people, especially on the left, that believes it should be a little bit better monitored. Um, they're a little bit concerned. But that, that's, that's, I think, what's driving this more than anything, is that Elon believes that he, he has a better strategy for Twitter. And Twitter's a, let's face it, it's the world's town hall uh, or town square. I mean, it basically, it's different than these other social media platforms. So it has a lot of, it has outsized power as far as the, the fact that it, it does get watched closer than some of these other media platforms, even though they may have more actual users. So it's going to be interesting to see what Elon does. He is definitely committed to more free speech. So if he does take over, who knows what he's what he, if he reinstates some of these uh, some of the people that he, that have been banned? We're, we're going to see. I mean, it's definitely going to lean more towards free speech, though. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Uh, we had you on twice, Mike, just so I could uh, get your CV correct the second time. Thanks for joining us. And coming up next, planning to make early retirement a realistic possibility money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Retiring early may sound appealing, but there can be a downside if you call it quits too soon. Let's get some insight from Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group based in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, thanks for joining us today. When it comes to early retirement, um, what is the average age of somebody who is retiring early, and uh, what are some motivations given? No, absolutely. The pandemic has ushered in a whole new attitude, whether it was burnout, this concept of you only live once, everyone's pushing the needle closer and closer to an earlier age, as you said. And when we take a look, based on the number of people filing for Social Security benefits at the ripe age of 62, that tells you that people are going out earlier than ever. And study after study is also showing that the labor participation rate, the amount of people over the age of 55 that are actively seeking or engaged in employment is still below the pandemic high. So the reality is is America has retired early. Now, is this also a function, too, of some people, they arrive at the age of 59 or 60 or 61, and, you know, maybe they leave their job either by their own choice or, you know, not voluntarily, and they just look at the prospect of getting back on the horse and, and doing the whole uh, uh, job search song and dance and realizing, like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not, I want to I close down my LinkedIn account for good. Rob, as always, you nailed it right on the head. Let's not sugarcoat it to anybody. This concept of a RIF, a reduction in force, or what we call go global outsourcing, it does tend to hit people of a certain age. We have to acknowledge that. And everyone's got their own reasons. But I think on the back of rising real estate prices, certainly significant elevation in certain counties across America, combined with a stock market that has had a fantastic tailwind up until January of this year, so many people aren't saddling back up that proverbial horse. And I think the message here is, number one, got to do the math. 
because retirement's not about assets. It's all about cash flow. And just as importantly, Rob, we talk about it all the time. It's not enough to have money. You have to have a preordained lifestyle to retire to because there are going to be a lot of hours to fill. And how, uh, when it comes to doing the math on, on retiring early, uh, what's a good threshold? I mean, obviously, everyone's life and their lifestyle is their own, and everyone has a level of comfort for the, what they seek in retirement. But as you mentioned, you know, real estate prices or real estate values are high. The stock market is hot. You know, how can you not be fooled by what, appear, what might is just high, what's high tide? Yeah, you know, it's a concept of recency bias. You know, we all expect what's happened most recently to continue in the future, and that might not be the case. We might be staring at a time period of elevated inflation, both stubborn and persistent. We might continue to look at equity prices on the back of an economy that is still growing, but it's not going to be the type of double-digit advance that we are all used to. And I really hope those who are on the cusp of maybe retiring early or those who have recently retired start to really recognize that, again, retirement is not about assets. It's all about cash flow. So the price you pay to be retired to own your time is having to have significantly better awareness of what comes in and what comes out every month. And that's just key table stakes for those that want to get out of the workforce early. There have been a number of trend stories about people who quit their job during the Great Resignation and then had second thoughts once they got to their new situation. Uh, Are we going to see a a, a raft of rehirements after people retire early? You know, at this point in time, here's what I've seen. I mean, January, February, March, we don't have the April data yet because April's not in the books. We've seen Big job growth, three consecutive months in a row. I think the number averages out to be about 562,000. I'm looking for April to be a good data point as well. But I will not be surprised as 2022 progresses, especially in the face of inflation combined with market volatility thus far, that the participation rate for those 55 and older might just start to elevate, meaning, yes, Rob, I do think more people who are sitting it out are, in fact, going to come back in, whether that's due to finances or whether it's just due to commitments of time people are likely to re-engage. Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday and still to come, our Monday Stock Pickers. The best daily deal in Chicago, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Stock Picker Monday, and helping us out this afternoon is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecasts newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Also the author of the book, Winning with the Dow's Losers. Chuck, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for joining us on Stock Picker Monday. Uh, Your first stock answers the question, how do I get in on this, uh, uh, the volatility and the rapid rise in energy prices? Well, a a way to play that uh, without necessarily going all in on some of the oil stocks that have done really well uh, and maybe a little extended is national fuel gas. The symbol is NFG. The stock trades for about $70 a share. Why this is an interesting pick in the oil and gas space, yes, they do have exploration and production activities. Yes, they do have pipeline and storage activities, but they also have natural gas utilities. So you, you get this kind of hybrid between kind of your, your hardcore energy business, but also more of the defensive 
utility business. And, and that makes for a pretty nice combination. The stock's dividend yield is 2.5%. Profits should be higher this year as well as next year. And the company's dividend record is, is pretty solid. They've raised their dividend annually for the last 51 years. And my guess is you'll see another dividend hike sometime over the next three months. So again, it's a, it's a nice way to play uh, both the defensive utility area as well as the energy, which is down today. Uh, that's National Fuel Gas, symbol NFG, and it trades for $70 a share. And your next one is an office stalwart. It is. It's kind of that 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 play on the hybrid work from home, work in the office market, and that's it's a familiar name. It's Hewlett Packard. The symbol is HPQ. Stock trades for a little over $36 a share. It's down about 12% from its 52-week high. What I like about this stock is that, A, it's a technology stock that you can still buy at a very good value. The stock trades for less than nine times, just nine times, its estimated 2022 earnings estimates. The company has beaten earnings estimates in each of the last four quarters. Uh, if you like being in the, in the company of Warren Buffett on stocks, Buffett just acquired about an 11% stake in the company. And the dividend yield is there, which is nice in this sort of market. It's 2.7%. So it's it's a nice value play. You get good cash flow. And uh, it's a stock that we, we like quite a bit. That's Hewlett Packard. The symbol HPQ trades for about $36 a share. And in full disclosure, our clients do own both of these stocks. And your other selection, once again, National Fuel Gas, NFG. Before we let you go, Chuck, what's the Dow theory telling you these days? Well, it's still on a bear market signal. Uh, we're looking at the, that March 8th low in the Dow Industrials, which is 32,632. That's an important kind of support area for the market. We we would not like to see the Dow take that level out on a close. And if it can hold above that, uh, you know, the longer it can hold above that, the better it is for the broad market. So that's kind of what we're watching right now. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecasts newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. You'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.